You know what it reminded me of when I was watching the movie with my wife, I started calling out lines from Rocky four when (laughs) Sylvester Stallone fights the Russian. Welcome to No Cure for Curiosity. I am Shawnee Luft, Associate Dean of General Education at UWSP, and I'm also a professor of religious studies. Today's episode continues the conversation I had with Valerie Barske and Carrie Elza. If you don't know who they are, you should check out our previous episode first. Our conversation was so far-ranging, it could not be contained in one episode. The part of our conversation you'll hear today focused mostly on Godzilla vs. Kong, which came out in 2021. Godzilla vs. Kong is part of a larger Monsterverse series of films. The connected films are Godzilla, which came out in 2014, then Kong Skull Island in 2017, Godzilla King of the Monsters in 2019, and that all led up to Godzilla vs. Kong, which came out in March 2021. We talk about the recent film in the context of the earlier Godzilla and Kong films, as well as the contemporary themes from the new movie. I hope you enjoy our conversation as much as I had having it. This Godzilla movie does not feel like the even the last Godzilla movie. It, even in the filming, for example, in the last Godzilla movie, which is part of this same universe, the one, the Brian Cranston one, much of the shots of Godzilla are from the perspective of human beings. You spend a lot of time in the movie looking up at a walking skyscraper monster and experiencing it from the ground level of people. And in this movie, that seems to be gone. Most of the people are removed so that it's just a battle royale. I feel that. Um, so I, you know, I, I rewatched half of the 2014 um, Godzilla. And you're right, scale is played within a different way here than it was there. But I'm getting the same kind of um, kind of Avengers MCU flavor here in that different kind of different personalities, different properties in this franchise are going to have different tones to them. So King Kong seems to be a little looser to me. Mm. Uh, The King Kong movies seem to be, um, I I don't know, a little sillier, Mm -hmm. a little um, Indiana Jonesy. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That tone gets brought into this movie. Like this movie opens (laughs) with King Kong, right? Like taking a shower in a water. <laughs> the use of music is interesting, and the scratches King Kong, his butt. He scratches his butt. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it it feels it feels different. And I will add that if you haven't seen the the Kong Skull Island that came out, that movie's awesome. Um, that movie is really fun. I mean, it has a, a, like like these other films, they spare absolutely no expense in the acting. Um, they 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 hire everybody that they can possibly get their hands on. Um, so the acting is pretty pretty solid. Um, they John C. Riley is in that movie playing like a goofy pilot who has crashed and has been living with the Iwi people for thirty years since World War II. The whole thing is set and like it right at the end of the Vietnam War mm. and they they every other scene has an incredibly expensive song that they had to license mm, cool. um so it is a it's a kind of a fun and loose movie and and I I see some of that see, you know because these the, we can take Kong Godzilla versus Kong and we can kind of like separate into these two zones right the, the, these two teams that are kind of associated with each monster and the the Kong the Kong stuff has a different flavor it's more it's more like um adventure and it it speaks to the original Marion Cooper um Ernest Shodasak movie 
And the Godzilla stuff seems more deadly serious to me, honestly. Mm, yeah. So those two tones mix, just like in the Avengers movie, like the tone of Thor mixes <laughs> with yeah. the tone of, um, of, of uh, you know, Iron Man. And so these different tones all kind of meld together in interesting ways. They kind of sense each other, right? Godzilla yeah. and Kong, they don't even have to uh, hear each other or see each other. They know when the other one's around. You were saying earlier. Titan radar, yeah. Yes. Their identity is fight the other Titan, right? That's their primary goal in life is to just destroy each other. You even get the sense Kong goes to like the middle of the earth and then um, picks up that. Yeah. Talk that, to right? me about that. What's going on in hollow earth? Like I need to yeah. understand that better. It, it like implied that this war between these monsters is like generational, right? Uh-huh. There was like an ancient Kong fighting an ancient Godzilla. I don't care. What did you think yeah. about that Middle Earth stuff? There's, you know, there's this trend in in, um, in cinema that we, we must constantly tie uh, our monsters back to something ancient. Mm-hmm. We must feel rooted. Yeah. We must discover the roots that we did not know that we had in a time that we all feel unmoored, right? Um, that's new, the scepter and the, or whatever it is. Um, and, and, uh, and this, this idea that there's a throne and there's, they've been fighting for, for millennia or something. So I, that's all I got, right? Like, this, this, like we all want to feel rooted. We all want to feel like our problems are connected to problems that have been happening. And, and we, we, we are, we are connected to our ancestors. I don't know. I don't know. But, but I do of- have, oh, go, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, all these monsters are apex predators, right? Right. The point of King Kong, even from 1933, is he is the biggest badass monster on Skull Island, right? Mm -hmm. That's why you kind of want him on your side. Godzilla, from the 1960s, is literally called King of the Monsters, right? Their status as the biggest badass monster is for each of them is part of their identity. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's true on Skull Island. That's true in, in, you know, that little Middle Earth uh, section, right? Mm -hmm. That is like Kong's kingdom. He even has like a throne that he sits on to communicate that he, his ancestry Mm -hmm. was the apex predator of this hollow Earth uh, world. I did enjoy those effects, though. The, too, the, the inception, little inception bit where they can yeah. like jump from one side to the other. Yeah, um, I thought that was great. I, thought, I didn't, I didn't see that one coming. The, the strangeness of gravity, and I, 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 I thought that was a nice touch. That was cool, and I like the. There's something picking up of, on what Carrie's saying about wanting to have links to our ancestors. Shawnee, you and I kept using the word home. You know, he's home, mm-hmm. right? He's like swinging through stuff and he feels like he's well. At the end too, there's like a, we're going home. And they sing, all I need is the air yeah. that I breathe and to love you, right? <laughs> like there's just something about, and maybe that's that's giving to where we are right now in this per- current global pandemic situation, that this longing for those roots. But I, I, I actually really enjoyed, of all the scenes, I think I really enjoyed the Hollow Earth scenes quite quite a lot i was really jazzed on the representations there this kind of scepter of maybe it comes from one of the spiky dinosaur parts of of godzilla um i don't know i was really taken in by that they you know what struck me watching the the, this new movie is king kong is always about home right skull Mm -hmm. island is his home and the what drives the plot is removing him from the land in which he's comfortable, right? When he goes to New York, the reason he freaks out in the 1933 film is he is, uh, he's terrified by modern culture, right? He climbs that building to escape 
from the uh, noise and uh, of New York. I mean, if you rewatch this movie, it's so blindingly obvious that Carl Denham, the filmmaker, and all of his uh, all of his <laughs> colonialist invaders, right? All of all of the the um, the quote unquote explorers who come to Skull Island shouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that was one thing that was just blindingly obvious to me as I was rewatching this and trying to explain to small children too. I'm like, okay, guys, these people are sticking their noses where they don't belong. There's going to be consequences. They should leave this island alone. They have no business here. And so I, I you know, I was kind of trying to get that narrative across to the kids because the movie doesn't make that clear, right? That they shouldn't be there. Um, instead, he brings back Kong to New York and Kong is like chained up horrifically at this, uh, you know, a big gala theater opening. And the thing that sets him off is flashbulbs. It's modern technology that drives him crazy. Um, right. And he just tries to escape. Yep. The the thing that connects the original King Kong and this recent movie is capitalism, mm-hmm. right? Capitalism drives the desire to to bring King Kong to New York because he's going to be a, an attraction. And uh, the new movie is about this international corporation. There, there's a kind of megalomaniac thing to the yeah. to the Damien Bashir character himself because he's like, there's a moment where he's like, I'm in control of all. This. It's not about right. like you know. It, yes, there's a component of saying that corporations are trying to do good. There's some, right? But there's something individualistic. There's something truly yeah. neoliberal about him. That mm-hmm. all that capitalism, we are these homo economicus, right? We are defined by our capitalist culture and we cannot disconnect from them. And we're not linked in community because of that. Right. Mm-hmm. He's the ultimate kind of neoliberal evil because it somehow ties back to his own individual his own family his own right his daughter's involved in this as a scientist there's something megalomaniac about him and just as we were thinking about hong kong maybe that's the the thing that they don't have this fight in new york both of these animals have their characters these kaiju have been in new york before the 1998 matthew broderick godzilla is ridiculous they don't meet there this time though they meet in the ocean and then they meet in hong kong which is being raised up as the ultimate kind of linchpin in not just questions of democracy, but what is the role of capitalism moving forward, right? And it, it has always been this odd space where, you know, the, the Communist Party in China can, can benefit financially from a full capitalist example, but wants to limit democratic rights. Yeah. And there's also more than a little of John Hammond in Jurassic Park, right? That, mm-hmm. that like, we're going to create this thing. And that, I mean, that's classic, classic, right? Is we're going to create this thing that we have control over um, to, and, and no, no, uh, you don't have control over it. As soon <laughs> as you create it, it's going to have its own control over itself. Stop. Hubris, hubris, uh, always. The hubris is a constant theme in the King Kong films, and it's a theme in this film as well. The 1950s Japanese one also had some interesting human things going on that I'm not sure I see in this film. Like, where's the mm. development of human relationships? It's kind of flat. In in the original, there's this whole thing that, that actually American filmmakers weren't sure would translate or transliterate well into an American cultural context. The idea of an arranged marriage versus mm-hmm. like an I-based, a love-based, you know, she didn't want to be with this person that she was um, betrothed to and was expected to marry because of an arranged marriage. So I'm missing a little bit in these contemporary movies, 
uh, that I wanted a little of that romance. And maybe if, yeah. because it's Honda was, was actually a, a, a romantic film director, he has that piece. But I do feel this movie is a bit flat on the human development. Like what is going on with any of these people in their lives? The character Madison and her father, you don't get too mm-hmm. much development of, I don't know. I wanted some humans in yeah, this movie to do more. Let's talk about those human beings that get stuck in the story. Cause there's like two or three different um, kind of human plots that are happening at the same time, yeah. right? There's the yeah. Millie Bobby Brown relationship with her father. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she knows the truth because she's listening to <laughs> this podcast where a guy is spreading oh. conspiracy theories, all yeah. of which Brian turn out Hardy to be Henry, correct. Yeah. <laughs> right. It is so uncomfortable. I feel like the movie is really missing the mo- this current moment by presenting, um, the, the crazy conspiracy theory guy as like the only one who knows the truth, or the only one w- who can communicate the truth. That doesn't seem to fit w- the moment right now. Yeah. yeah, but it 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 um jives with the earlier Godzilla movies because Brian Cranston played that same role. You know, nobody believed Brian Cranston. There, there was the existence of these giant beasts. Um, uh, no one believed John Goodman in the the King Kong movie. No one ever believes you that there are right. these giant beasts. And that's a trope of all the monster genres. Like even the, the the American films of the 1950s, you know, nobody believes that there are giant monsters until they see it with their own eyes. And so conspiracies and proving that conspiracies are true is a thing that we see in all these movies. But yes, absolutely. It feels incredibly uncomfortable that he you know, that he has infiltrated Apex, that he has, you know, that he's, he's, um, he's putting out this podcast. He's got this website. He, you know, he has the, the, the house with the, the clippings that are connected by yarn, you know, <laughs> right. um, like he's Fox Mulder, right? He's, he, this is the same sort of X-Files conspiracy mm-hmm. theory romanticization of, of this figure that we've seen for many, many years. The romanticizing of this figure and their dogged, tenacious pursuit of the truth is arguably the thing that has led us to this moment, mm-hmm. to Q, to the, the whole concept that somebody has the truth, somebody is embedded, somebody knows. And if we can only piece together the clues, we will have that same information and be able to act upon it. This has been going on for a long time, conspiracy theory, but I, I would have liked, I would like to see less of the romanticizing of that. That's, what makes me most uncomfortable in this movie is not the conspiracy theory itself. The thing that makes me more uncomfortable than that in this movie is the solution to that problem, because it's mm-hmm. always find the guy who runs the corporation and kill them. And yeah. then um, type in the password that, uh, you know, turns off Mechagodzilla. It's the solutions are always very simple. Whereas in reality, our real solutions are really complicated. I feel like part of the fantasy of these movies is oh, yeah. they suggest really simple solutions to intractable problems. The solutions are the individual, the personal, rather than the systemic. Right. Which lots harder, right? But yeah. In I, the, I, I could, in the Life that. magazine one that I, I bought, the, the special issue that came out is the Life magazine for Godzilla. And the ending is this. It talks a little bit about the issue of climate change and global warming. And it says, alas, there are no civilization saving secret weapons in real life. Right? Exactly that feeling that you're that you're saying, right? It's not so easy that you could just build something or find a, you know, get rid of 
Mecha Godzilla and then you're fine, right? Like, I think, but maybe, maybe that's also a point, right? Maybe the point is to say, yeah, we can do this in these fictional worlds, but um, we can't really imagine that in our real world. But there's also this fantasy too that there is this vast underground conspiracy corporation government collab whatever that has enough money resources know-how and organization to be able to defeat something so i'm Mm -hmm. thinking about like the beginning of the movie when we see that like kong's on skull island taking a shower and everything and he throws like the tree spear up and you're like wow it's a giant dome and the immediate thing that i thought is like how expensive is that dome? Like, who <laughs> right. paid for that dome? And so we do have these fantasies that our tax dollars are going towards something that perhaps if this planet explodes, maybe there's arcs. I don't know. Like, maybe there's underground bunkers that the government is building. We just don't know about it. That's a fantasy that somebody somewhere can afford the dome for King Kong. <laughs> somebody somewhere can afford that underground high-speed trainee thingy. Like, I want to talk about the ending of the movie. There's a big twist that Mecha Godzilla appears. He was hidden from the promotion. And then Godzilla and King Kong have to team up to defeat an even bigger evil. Mm-hmm. So the movie is called Godzilla versus Kong, but it, the story is really Godzilla and Kong coming together, putting their differences aside. It's a very um, kind of satisfying notion of, of our intractable problem. By the end of this movie, Godzilla and Kong are able to put their differences aside for the greater good. Because this is not a, a Cold War movie. It's kind of a yeah. question of like, what? I mean, we're still in that, is it the end of history? Have we really gotten rid of the nation? Has globalization mm-hmm. replaced all these other kinds of loyalties? But it's not a clear dichotomy or binary as like a Cold War setup was. Because in the original American version of Godzilla, it wasn't um, the Americans using the H-bombs. It was also like the Soviet, right? There was like a, a push against like Soviet H-bomb testing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think in this, there's what, what we're seeing is that simplicity is more complex, right? It's not just this nice binary of, it's not really a versus. The last half an hour of the movie are very satisfying, right? First of all, you get to see the fantasy Godzilla Kong. There have been a couple of times when Godzilla and King Kong have fought each other. This one is the most technologically advanced. The You got to see just building after building getting wiped out. All I could think about was a child playing with toys. A nine-year-old who has a toy Godzilla and a toy Kong and just smashes them against each other. And the consequences are irrelevant. It's just fun to watch <laughs> giant things punch each other and mm-hmm. destroy an, you know, an entire uh, cityscape. And then on top of that, you get them putting their differences aside to fight an even more uh, dangerous threat, right? They can see in each other (laughs) that their lifelong struggle is something they could put aside. You know what it reminded me of? When I was watching the movie with my wife, I started calling out lines from Rocky IV when (laughs) Sylvester Stallone fights the Russian. Rocky gives this speech about how he recognizes the humanity of the Russian people. This movie reminded me of that. But but it's raising that issue of like, what kind of world system really has replaced the Cold War dichotomy situation? Yes. Right? So in this, inter- interjecting Hong Kong in this and asking like, okay, you know, China's very soon going to have most likely the largest economy in the world. And what are we going to do with that? If this is a critique of capitalism or of, of the particular neoliberal vi- version of it, who's the enemy? Like, what? I don't know. There's some interesting parallels to that if I was 
playing in those kind of in that genre of, of critique. But I, I think that that's a good point that this is playing, right? So mm, yeah. um, this I, that's what animation does, right? Yeah, and we yeah. can we can like talk about this movie until we're blue in the face as if it's a live action movie. But this is mostly mm, an animated wonderful. movie. Mm. And animation has this ability to uh, create these these kind of unlimited play worlds that we can mess around with all of these social issues. And the only Im- the only limit, right, is our imagination. But it's also fun. We can mess around with all of these all of these incredibly important political, economic, social issues. Um, but at the end of the day, it's also just fun to see these big beasts crashing into each other and crashing into a city that we all know doesn't exist, right? Mm-hmm. Like we all like we all know that this is an entirely animated film, right? at least those sequences are. So yeah, there's this kind of um, disconnect while we're watching where, we're, you know, we just kind of let go and mm-hmm. we're just like, let's just, I just want to see the world burn. Just let me have this for this moment, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe we need that. Uh, when you were talking, mm-hmm. two, two Japanese terms came up to me: the the notion of asobi, a play, and it has mm-hmm. more, it, it it has like a deeper sense um, in some cultural contexts where it ties to like religious ritual, but also like sexual pleasure, right? Like the play is really quite important. And so when you were saying that, I'm like, of course, right? We're supposed mm-hmm. to enjoy this. And the other thing, the animated parts, right? The CGI, but also just straight up anim, you know, animations that are happening. The notion of anime in Japanese is coming from a notion of animism, back to mm-hmm. older sort of shamanistic Shinto practices, that anything can have a spirit, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's something powerful to that, too, that ties that notion, the, the, the animism to asobi and play. I think it's supposed to be a bit, not just cathartic, but right, maybe it is cathartic. It's a release. It's a, ah, just come in this space and enjoy it. I miss the spectacle experience of watching things together with people, right? And so yeah. for me, that was the high of, of doing this, was just being with a person and, um, and enjoying that kind of spectacle. I've read- I saw Godzilla, King of the Monsters in the theater, you know, a couple of summers ago, and I just loved it. Like, I didn't, I didn't think logically that this is a, this is a very well-made, well-written movie that I'm watching, <laughs> but I was like, this is great. <laughs> um, and I, yeah, that experience is so important when it comes to big movies like this. Yeah. It's how we all come, like, get together to have that kind of cathartic release. I completely agree. And this movie, I, one of the things I've noticed about it or in some reading some of the articles is uh, how often critics comment on the fact that this movie is doing really well in the theaters, mm-hmm. right? I mean, not well compared to pre-COVID well, but right. compared to any movie that came out in 2020 or 2021, um, th- uh, people want to go see a movie where giant things are destroyed and there is no consequence. There's no, there's no emotional intensity, but there is kind of an emotional release, uh, right, of the play Valerie's talking about, the play of watching things get blown up. It's well, scale, right? These are big monsters. You want to see them on a big screen. Yeah. Exactly. Well, and also, you know, perhaps Apex is involved in the, getting the vaccines out faster. I don't know, right? Like, so <laughs> it benefits from the timing that it comes out, right? Like, people are actually back in the theaters more and... For me, I keep coming back to, maybe it's because I'm also an anthropologist who traces kind of life histories. I feel like you can trace certainly Godzilla, but perhaps also King Kong throughout like a, an individual person's life. You can you can graph it onto the life stories we've been telling about 
um, nations, right? As a Japan scholar, I'm brought into that. It's been really popular in my field to write about this. Um, and so I think that's what it was exciting about coming back to Godzilla again. I've been using Godzilla in my teaching of Japan for a long time, where we watched the original digitally remastered the, the 1954, we watched it in 2014, and I, and I paid to show it in the DUC theater, and oh, it was just such a cool experience. Students went to the archives and found representations of nuclear anxiety in our archives locally. We had a map of, of Wisconsin and where there might be places we were worried about if there was a nuclear fallout. So at every point, I just feel like it's really exciting for me to make these connections, even if they're very personal and subjective. That personal subjective way in which you can latch onto a film makes it powerful, makes it fun, mm -hmm. makes it speak to you. I was playing with King Kong a little bit. There was a King Kong that came out in 76 by Dino De Laurentiis. Like, I, I, I was born in 76. Like, I just <laughs> feel like the movie watching experience has to speak to me personally somehow. And even if I'm not a sci-fi person or a kaiju person, I, I, I in this moment, this definitely spoke to me. I remember uh, the uh, the original King Kong ride um, at uh, Universal Studios, and uh, that that was a part of, of my childhood. But my you know my dad showed me this film, uh, the original King Kong, when I was a kid, too. And I'm sure he probably explained about the racism too. <laughs> um, but it, I mean, it was a part of King Kong was probably a little bit more a part of my childhood than Godzilla was. But all of the American monster movies were um, all of those 19. My, my dad was was a Cold War historian um, mm. and he spoke Russian. And uh, and so so the Cold Cold War inflected films were very big in my house. So mm. I, I have this personal connection to these movies, too. And I completely agree with what you're saying here. Carrie Elza and Valerie Barsky, I had been looking forward to this conversation for a month. I'm really grateful. Thank you so much for talking to me. <laughs> so I'm just grateful to be here. I, I listened to some of your other ones. It was really amazing. Uh, I think it's really fun. I think this is like what, what we should be doing to show that sense of kind of liberal arts curiosity. I think it's great. Yes, absolutely. Complete more. Do more. I yep. will definitely keep doing it. Thank you so much. And I hope you both come back and talk to me about other stuff. Thank you. Would love to. 